Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of It's Not All Rainbows. I'm your host, Lindsay Goodman. If you don't know me, I'm a certified trauma recovery coach, and I'm also a survivor of abuse in a queer relationship. I'm here to help validate and support those who are or have been in my shoes and to help spread awareness of what these kinds of relationships can look like. Today, we're going to talk about the abusive people who are also experts in domestic violence. Um, I'm not going to name specific uh, groups or like describe what these people might be like. I'm not going to say like, oh, well, it's always going to be these people or those people. But I'm going to give a couple of examples that sort of make it uh, very interesting for survivors. Um, I know that sounds really vague, but we're just going to dive right in after I do my struggles and successes. This week, my struggle is that I'm still sick. I've been sick for over a week. Um, the kiddo got sick yesterday. Luckily he's recovering much more quickly than I am, but we still have some lingering symptoms, which you can probably hear in my voice. And I'm just kind of over being sick. Uh, this is my second, like really big sick this year. Um, that just kept me in bed for several days and I'm just, yeah, I know we all are. It's been a yucky time. This season's been rough for a lot of people. So, um, a success is that, um, a year ago at this time, a year ago, the last week of 2021, I had just gotten back to Washington after being gone for three weeks with my son after um, we left my abuser. And I had to go to the house where I lived with them and clear everything out. I luckily had help clean the house. Um, they just, you know, they just took a couple of things that were theirs. They didn't own a lot of things. I think they keep it that way on purpose left me with like a bunch of stuff, uh, which is fine. Um, and a year ago today, I dropped the key off for the landlord. I left that house for the last time and closed up that chapter, which obviously felt really incredible. And it feels really cool to be a year removed from that. Obviously when we first leave our abusers, we have an entire year of milestones. Um, and I still haven't quite checked off. I'm, I'm ready for April. I'm ready for April. I'm not gonna say what the milestone is cause I don't want to jinx it, but um, I've had a lot of milestones. Um, they start in August and they lead all the way up to, um, like I said, April. So that's, that goes to show you, you know, how difficult it is to get out of these relationships and how long it can like really drag out. If my milestones of like, oh, it's been a year since this go that long. Mm. Anyway, we all know that y'all are here. You already know that it takes a long time and it's a huge struggle. So, but yeah, being a year removed from that moment of setting the key on that counter in that empty house walking away from this place where I was abused, where my son was abused, where my pet was used as a pawn, all of that stuff. Lovely, beautiful. All right. So let's talk about this. I haven't really talked about this a lot. Um, I, I, I think I ended up mentioning it to one of my colleagues a, a couple of weeks ago because I just thought it was just so strange that this happened. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell this story um, I'm going to tell this like personal story of mine, and then I'm going to talk about why that might be, why this is something that abusive people might do. So very early on, um, in my relationship with my abuser, we started dating in June of 2019 and it was around October of 2019. They decided to go to a local domestic violence shelter and take like a six weeks, um, course to become a volunteer at the shelter to help 
ostensibly other people, other women who are being abused, who are going to the shelter for the help. They they were going to answer phones and help people work through, you know, getting out of abusive relationships and things like that. Um, they went like several nights a week, you know, I was hanging out with the kiddo and I remember thinking like, wow, this is a really, this is a really amazing thing for them to do. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could help other survivors that might be too triggering for me. Um, I'm smiling if you are on the podcast because that's exactly what I do now. This is what I do in my one-on-one coaching. I hear some wild things and obviously um, I am not to be called in the event of an emergency. I am not someone who's going to be able to come to your house and help you. I am not someone who works at a domestic violence shelter, but that's what I do. I hear all these crazy stories. Um, I help educate people on abuse and what abuse looks like. And yeah, just so funny, these limiting thoughts that we can have where I was like, oh, I can never do what you're doing. I think that'd be too hard for me. Anyway, the reason why that would be too hard for me, or so I thought, is because when I was 18, I went through something horrific. Um, So trigger warning here um, in terms of physical abuse. Obviously, you're listening to a podcast about abuse, so that's kind of a a blanket uh, warning when you're listening. But um, I fought for my life at the hands of a man who was five years older than me. There was a weapon involved. Um, by the time the ambulance came, they were like, if your heart rate would have been up much longer, you wouldn't be here. Uh, super traumatic. Again, this isn't something that I talk about very much. I think probably because it feels hard for survivors. Many of us go through more than one traumatic, abusive relationship, or maybe we're like, well, my brother or sister used to do this, and then I had a partner. So it seems like I'm the problem, so I don't want to talk about all of it. But y'all, this is really common with survivors, where there's more than one player in the game who has contributed to our trauma like this, right? (coughs) Excuse me. So they ended up asking me about this. I do believe I have mentioned this in the podcast before. They asked me about this very early on in their relationship, like within the first couple of days of, of hanging out with them, what's the worst thing you've ever been through? So I told them about this night. I, you know, told them some things and, and I, they sat there and looked at me and they were like, well, that can't be true. They said something like that can't be true. Or like, what did you do? Very like victim shaming, like something that I would never tolerate now. And I remember getting a little bit upset. Now this has been, this was in 2006. This is a very long time ago. Um, so I'm pretty solid about that, uh, that one. And, um, I know what happened. You know, I wasn't like, oh my goodness, you're right. I did something. I was just like, that's a really like, definitely a wrong thing to say. At that time, I wasn't like a DV advocate or anything like that. I, I wasn't where I am now. I didn't understand all the things, but I was just like rude. And I remember thinking like, I should really just like not hang out with this person because like, mm, do I want to be around someone like that? But of course I stayed as we do. Um, one of many, 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 that was like a small red flag or like a reddish orange flag. And I was just like, mm. uh, now to me, that would be a very red flag. Um, But then all of a sudden after that, they became obsessed with this story, with this moment in my life. And they, out of the blue, decided to go do this domestic violence training. So again, they're going, they're doing all this stuff. And they would come home every single night and they would ask me questions like, oh, I learned about this tonight. And they would, they wouldn't say, hey, I know that this happened to you. I know that this was something really difficult. I also know it's been 10 years. You offered me the information, but is this something that you want to talk about? Are you okay to talk about this? I know you have other things going on. Your dog just passed away a couple months ago. You're still processing that. Um, like, are you okay? Um, I want to share what I learned. Was this your experience? Nothing. It was just like, they would come home. They would start talking about like 
the things they learned at the training, which if you do a domestic violence training, they're going to talk about the things that women experience. They're going to talk about horrible things. And they would just come home and they would like put that all on me. And then they would ask me questions. They wanted to know everything. They wanted to know, you know, like what happened after that? Well, why did they, well, what, all kinds of stuff. And at the time I remember thinking, <coughs> oh, they really care. They really want to learn. I'm like, this is really honorable. They're because they're now, they now have a partner who's been abused in this way. And I'm sure they have known other people who have in the past, but for some reason now, like they have this partner and they want to give back. They want to do something for others. Like they've never been through anything like this. It's really honorable. Like how cool that they're driven to this now. Um, and so, yeah, they went through the training and I remember, I remember one night, this is like an offshoot, but I remember one night they came home and you have to remember, they didn't believe me, right? They didn't believe my story. And one night I came home and I had pulled up the court records and I pulled up all this stuff and I pulled up like the weapon charge and I pulled up and they saw it. And I remember the look on their face and I was like, you, you really didn't believe me. Like you had to see this for you to believe me that this happened. And they were like, no, 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 I believe you. Anyway, that was like an offshoot. That's another like, man, like, don't be around people like that, y'all. Anyone who's like, prove to me that this happened or prove to me that you're telling the whole the receipts. No, y'all, stop doing that. Stop it. That's another thing. But anyway, so fast forward, they finish this. I don't know if they get like a certificate or just the shelter's like, yeah, you're good. You can come in now. They might have gone in one time and then completely dropped it. They never went back again. They didn't tell the shelter, like, hey, this actually isn't for me. <coughs> um, or it's too far of a drive. You know, I don't think I can sustain this. Maybe I'll try again in the future. Just never went. Never volunteered after rigorous, like, sitting for hours in a room with other people learning about this really difficult subject. And it took me, it was like, well, after I was out, I mean, it was probably six months, no contact by the time that I like, it, it's like a lot of times as survivors, like a random memory will come up and, and now it will make sense to us. Um, whereas at the time it either doesn't register or it doesn't make sense. And it hit me and I was like, they never went back. They never went, they did that training for nothing. And the thing is that a lot of times abusive people will go out of their way to learn more about how to be even more abusive. The thing that just popped into my head is um, the Idaho case that just happened, and I'm not going to say more about it because they just arrested the suspect yesterday, but he was a criminology major, and he is suspected of <clears throat> taking the lives of four people in Idaho. He's a criminology major. He studied this. He was trying to get, I don't, I don't know about, again, I don't know everything about him. I don't want to misspeak. Um, I'm, I'm not one of those people who <coughs> like to report on things that I, you know, I'm not a reporter. I'm not a police officer. Anyway, he knew what I was doing before he did it. Um, and so it is very common for uh, abusive people to, to do that, to seek out knowledge, to be more abusive, to be better at being abusive. So what are the tactics that abusive people will use? How do victims respond? I don't know what all my abuser learned at that training, but I guarantee you that it helped them to further abuse me. And then get into the nitty gritty of my story, understanding what happened there, 
I've talked about this before. I do believe the episode was um don't give your don't give someone like in a like a guidebook to abuse you. It was probably about a year ago that I made that episode where I talk about like holding back our deepest, darkest trauma until we really feel like we know someone versus like trauma dumping when we first meet because an abusive person will then use that to continue to abuse you. Um, but you will see abusive people. And this is not to say that lawyers and police officers and, you know, DV advocates and volunteers are all abusive. Absolutely not. Therapists, you will see people getting degrees and becoming therapists because now they understand how the mind works and now they know what to do to abuse you and to make you look crazy so that no one else believes you. Um, so these are all things, these are, you know, you'll see someone who's really into true crime or you'll see someone who's really, um, really into the law and how the law works. How does the law work in this state? Um, or you'll even see someone who's really into like, I can remember when we first heard about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and my abuser came up and was like, did you hear Johnny Depp at Amber Heard said that Johnny Depp was abusing her and blah, blah, blah. Like they're really like, they can be very fascinated by what other people are doing. Um, <clears throat> they can be very fascinated by crimes, by, like I said, the law, all of that stuff. By psychology. Um, and I have talked about this before. Again, I have a whole entire episode about why it's not a good idea to go to therapy, couples therapy with an abusive person is that they are going to learn better ways to control you, to hear more about your trauma, to keep you vulnerable, to get the therapist on their side, to be able to get into your brain and just pull the strings. It's really scary. Um, it's one of those things that as survivors, we're like, am I safe anywhere? Like what is trust? What's like, because you think, oh, this person wants to go into psychology or this person's really reading like self-help. I just like literally just now, like, I remember like towards the end when I was leaving, my abuser was like, all of a sudden they wanted to study polyvagal theory and they had notes about it. And it was like, ostensibly it was like, it's so that I can help you calm down when you get triggered. Cause Lindsay, you're so crazy and you get triggered all the time and you like, can't regulate yourself. Like they learn about this stuff. They learn about what, like they'll learn about narcissism and they'll use those words, but they'll use it for you. Don't call you a narcissist. They'll learn words like gaslighting, stonewalling and all of that stuff. Mine did not, um, luckily, but they'll learn about some buzzword in psychology and then put it on you. They'll learn about mental health disorders and put it on you. Well, I think you have borderline personality disorder. I think you have this. I think you have that and they'll put it on you. And again, my point in all of this is that it's very scary because abusive people will use this kind of knowledge to further abuse you, to control you, to keep you in the home with them, unsafe, unable to escape, um, unable to reach out for help because they know how to counteract it. They know you know, when you're about to pick up the phone to call 911, they'll say something to you. They'll say something to you to get you to change your mind. Or the police come and they'll turn it on you. We see that a lot. We see with Gabby Petito, we saw the police come and Gabby was frantic and he was calm. He was calm. And so they'll turn it on you because they know, they know what the police are looking for. 
the frantic person caused the problem. This person can't keep her hands to herself. She's not regulated. She's, what's the word, hysteric. She's a woman. She can't. He seems calm. Let's put him in a hotel. They know what to do. They know how the brain works. They know um, what someone who's being abused is experiencing and going through and all that stuff. And they were watching it happen to you. And they're like, yep, this is what I learned in my training. I know what to do from here. Now, again, I'm not saying that everyone who, you know, studies those things or volunteers at a shelter is abusive. And I'm also not saying that all abusive people will do this. Not all abusive people are going to dabble in any of that stuff. Um, but this is definitely something that I experienced that a lot of people I know, in fact, one of the guys that I follow on Twitter who I absolutely love his, his content. I don't know how you say his last name, Andrew Sicchetti, because I feel like it's Italian, last name. I don't know. I'm showing it on YouTube. No, I'm not. Right. It's right. Yeah. Anyway, um, his ex-husband wrote the domestic violence. He's a lawyer, I believe. I don't want to misspeak, but he wrote the domestic violence like policies for the area that he lives in, whatever. I don't, again, I don't want to misspeak. Um, that's something that I really try to avoid, which makes it hard because sometimes I'm like, I don't have this exact information. So I just said a bunch of, you know, random stuff and nobody knows what I'm talking about, but that is a perfect example of someone who has all of this knowledge, who has this position. They're a lawyer and they're using it to further abuse their partner, to keep that person trapped, to, to use the system. That's a lot of power. Um, so yes, I know I'm not the only one who's experienced something like this. Um, you know, it can be large scale, like the lawyer keeping their husband stuck. It can be small scale where again, it's just this person who reads this book about polyvagal theory and makes notes and is like, Hey, I'm learning about this. And like actually does the opposite. Like I'm not actually going to do the things that it talks about to calm your nervous system. I'm going to do the opposite, right? That's really scary. So keep your eyes peeled for this kind of thing. Um, a lot of times, like, I, I don't know what the answer is in terms of what we can do about it while we're in it. But if you are being abused and you notice someone using this stuff, again, try to stay removed from it as much as is safe to do so. We know that, you know, the gray rock method really is helpful in these situations unless the person is going to react in a physical way. And then that puts you at physical risk. We don't want to do that ever. <coughs> um, but I hope that this episode will help some of you after the fact. Um, if you have a memory, because a lot of people like I'll share something and they'll be like, oh my gosh, memory unlocked. And unfortunately, as, as we know, sometimes that's difficult because it's very triggering and it's hard and it's another thing we have to work through. But my hope is that this gives you another puzzle piece because as survivors, we're constantly putting together puzzle pieces of what happened to us and why, and, um, we're not ruminating, but those little aha moments can be very helpful in our healing because now we know we're like, oh yeah, they did that. <coughs> They definitely knew that. Don't like it. Makes sense. Pop that in your puzzle and, you know, process it in whatever way is healthy for you and, and keep moving, hopefully. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. 
like I said, I'm still sick, so it is kind of a struggle, and 20 minutes is a long time to talk when you're sick. Um, this is going to be the part, the, I think this is going to be the first podcast of the new year. So happy new year, everyone. I hope you had a really great, uh, new year's Eve celebration or whatever you did, if you chose to sleep. And I hope that all of you have a wonderful 2023. I don't know what's in store for me. I don't have a lot of goals. I don't have a lot of plans. I'm just kind of winging it here. Um, so I wish you all the best. I thank you for coming on this ride with me. I can't believe that I have a full year of recording this podcast for all of you. Um, I started it in late 2021, but 2022 was a full year of podcasting for me and I'm really proud of myself. Um, and I'm just so grateful for all of your feedback and, you know, telling me, um, that you've listened to this episode or, you know, what this episode meant to you or how, how it helped you. That always does mean a lot to me. So please do that. Um, and on that note, if you like this podcast or if you're on YouTube, uh, please rate, review, subscribe. It really means a lot to me and it really helps get this content into the ears of the people who need it the most. And last but not least, as of now, I'm still hosting a trip to Greece in August of 2023. If you want to tag along, um, it, I believe it's going to be 10 people. If we can get 10 people to go, we'll head out there. We're going to do Santorini. We're going to do Athens. It's going to be a really good time. My goal is to have a safe space for LGBTQ folks like myself survivors of abuse like myself, uh, people who are just out here trying to heal, you know, cycle breakers, trying to do better for their kids, trying to just have a safe, calm nervous system and travel with a really cool uh, group of people. That's my goal. Um, So please reach out if you have any questions about that. If not, the link is um, in my bio pretty much on all my social media. I also have a highlight on Instagram if you want to look into that. I would love to meet all of you and hang out there and just have a really good time. So That's all for this week. Again, happy new year. Take care of yourselves, drink some water, and I will see you next week.